It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. A lot of people are struggling with Wi-Fi. Well, today on the show, stay with us because we have a guy joining us who can solve your Wi-Fi problems. Lose weight and feel great. How much have they lost this week? Oh, my God. Haven't they just been sensational? The way in coming up later on on the show. And I want to tell you, we're on Facebook Live. You can join us now because I have a very special man in studio with me. From 1990 to 2007, 17 seasons, he performed at the high level. Yes, he's a referee. He was in the middle for World Cups, European Championships, Champions and Europa League, the English Premier League and so on. And last evening he was in town in Drogheda to launch the Drogheda United Centenary Celebrations where I nabbed Dermot Gallagher to come in and join me on Late Lunch today. And he's here. Dermot, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. I want to say first off, Dermot, to Conor Hoy and the new crew at Drogheda United. It was a fantastic night last night, wasn't it? I really enjoyed it. I think um, everybody turned out, wants to have a good time and the great thing about it, they want to support the club and they want to support the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre and it was just a really, really humbling night for me. You were there yesterday because Drogheda United now have aligned themselves for the coming season with the Gary Kelly Centre, which I think is a brilliant gesture by the club and they're going to benefit the centre financially from this. Um, you were up there yesterday with Anne and Aileen. You were very impressed. Oh, more than impressed, honestly. I'm... Um, I knew what Gary did because I refereed the game in 2002 for him. Um, so a small part of me has watched it from a distance, if you like. To actually be on the premises yesterday for an hour and a half to two hours was so humbling to see what they did. And um, how Anne's staff are all volunteers and they really are Kelly's heroes as she christens them. Um, I just think it was two hours that was very, very ri- enriching for my personal life. I love that because I adored that movie, Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> you remember it uh, in its day. That's a great name for the people. But, yeah. I think you've coined something new here today. They are. Dermot Gallagher with us. That's fantastic. They are heroes. Ah, they are indeed. They certainly are. Just on that, we might as well start from that point. You did referee Gary's testimonial, which was Leeds United against Glasgow Celtic. Yeah. I presume you didn't have to issue a card that day. Uh, only um, best wishes cards <laughs> um, no it was it was a brilliant day for me because me and Gary have always been long standing friends and it was always been a pleasure to referee him and when he rung me to ask what he did a game and tell me what it was for it was unbelievable um, he's a Celtic fan like me as well it was the first time I ever refereed Celtic so it was just the most beautiful present I could have had from Gary and 
um, what it bore from that game was just unbelievable. Mm. unbelievable. Yeah, because it set up the centre here and draw down the other mm. part of the money. was split 50-50 with a Leeds Children's mm. Hospital as well. What a gesture by a footballer to do that at the end of his career. And uh, why it was, Jerry, why it was such a brilliant gesture because no one had ever done that before. Mm. People don't realise that. Gary Kelly was the first person to actually say, you know, I've earned my living. I've had a great time. I want to do this for others. I want to do this for the memory of my sister. And it was a pioneer thing for, to do. And I know footballers have done it since, but he was the very, very first one who created mm. that. Well, we're talking about landmarks and you, and I know that game is very special to you. Here's one, folks. Is there any other referee refereed his own country? You are an Irishman in a full international. No? Not that anybody knows of, but... Uh, How did that happen, that you got to referee Ireland? Well, I I come back home to watch all the matches, and uh, I'd, I've got very, very close links with Paddy Daly because... Um, I was very lucky that one of my first ever international tournaments to referee, believe it or not, was as a referee sent to Dublin for two weeks to referee the under-16 European Championships. And I knew Paddy and Joe McGrath really well because he looked after me. And um, I used to come home for the matches. Paddy always used to sort me out, make sure I was looked after, you know, well. And I used to go and train with the Irish refs up at uh, Santry, up at uh, Alta take them up there and show them different things because I was professional in England and I'm not saying they weren't professional mm. but they, they didn't have the same tutoring and privilege that I had and just pass on little snippets you know different ways to train and different things and I think the FAI were very appreciative of what I did you know watching referees and watch watch them and Paddy knows all this from a distance didn't say anything because he keeps himself he's a very private man and it was coming to the end of my international career and he said to the FAI, look, we're playing this game against Russia. It'd be very, very nice to invite this lad to referee. And they had to go through the process of making sure it was all right with everybody and everybody was happy. And fortunately they were. And I stood at Lansdowne Road on the 13th of February 2002 and just couldn't believe it. And the National Anthem was playing. I just couldn't believe that a boy from 400 yards down the road would be in that position. It was more than a dream come true. The highlight, I just look at you there, would you say, you know, look at all the wonderful games you've taken charge of to the highest level in football in the world, mm. in the Premier League, cauldrons, cup finals, <laughs> and yet that moment, that day, extra special. Ah, oh, the two greatest moments in my life, football, was was that. Um, on, I, I, Jerry, I'm not making uh, anything dramatic to stand there next to the Irish team mm. and the Irish national anthem was playing my heart was thumping. You'd have thought I'd have finished the game, let alone just about start. It was unbelievable. And the other moment that I felt anywhere near that was when I went to South Africa and I refereed the Mandela final and I met Mandela and he shook my hand and called me Dermot. It was just blew my mind away. He didn't call me referee, Mr. Guy. He called me Dermot. I was like, wow. It's just incredible. I'm so jealous because I always <laughs> reckon Mandela has been one of the greatest human beings ever to oh, without doubt. live. I'm practicing Catholic. I'm a devout Christian. Um, Mandela to me was the icon of his time. It was just there was nobody like him for what he did and what he stood up for. And to to shake his hand before a football match was mm. that was like being at Lansdowne Road. <laughs> You've always cherished your roots in this mm. country and your Irish heritage and your faith as well. Mm. W- would you tell me w- what took you to England or your family to England? Uh, well, my, my mum and dad had had me, and uh, we lived in Ringsend. And we lived in a in a flat 
and my, my dad had a job at the ICI and he wanted to um, you know he wanted to build his family and such like and he couldn't do that where he was because he was limited so he got a job in in England he went to England he got a job as a railway man a co-driver and there were steam trains when he first went and the, the job guaranteed housing so it was a massive pull you know to, to leave Ireland to get a guaranteed house is is a massive massive attraction so we moved to a, a I always remember I, I teased my dad I was eight and a half years old and we landed in, we'd come from this flat we landed in England and a house wasn't ready the, the person hadn't vacated it so we had to go into the hostel so we goes into the railway hostel and the rules was you could only stop in hostel 30 days and after 30 days um, the house still wasn't vacated so we had to go into a caravan for four weeks and I said to my dad I said we were in a hostel now we're in a caravan I said we're going further and further backwards and my dad said just behave yourself will you where are we going to end up I I thought we were on a park bench in another 30 days. (laughs) You certainly weren't. But look, you moved and and you make your life over there and uh, you go through your education, start to work. You're a footballer. You've played it. You know this game. You've played it. Yeah, I loved it. I wanted to be a footballer. I wanted to play for Celtic. That was my dream. I was going to play at Celtic Park. I was going to be there with the likes of the Bobby Lennoxes, the Billy McNeils, all them that won that 67 Cup. I was going to follow them. That was my my vocation. We we a little short. <laughs> I mean, in the, in, I don't mean in stature or whatever. In talent wise, I think I was absolutely up there with them in my head. Mm. But somewhere when the message was going down to my feet, there must have been something a bit halfway down that it diverted, and, <laughs> and the message just got lost. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a brilliant description. It describes so many people, not just you, Dermot. But look, you did play and and you had your time. Injury ended football for you. In a way, that was the gateway to refereeing, yes? Illness. Illness. I got very ill. Four days before my 21st birthday, I collapsed. And um, I woke up four days after it. God bless my dad. He he would never use the word coma in his life as 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 long as he lived after my illness. I woke up. May the 24th, um, 1978. And my dad said, you've been asleep for eight days. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, no. And he went and got the newspaper and showed me. And when he went off to get the newspaper, I lifted the bed sheets because I didn't feel particularly good. And I just couldn't believe what I could see. And my body had gone. My body had just wasted away. And I, I, I went into hospital eight days prior, weighing about 11 and a half stone. And a good athlete. You know, I'm still a fit boy now, but I was always, all my life, been a good athlete. I looked at my body, and all I could see was bones and my ribs sticking out, and I was nine stone two. I'd lost two and a half stone in eight days. Uh, they were feeding me into my arm and dripping. Uh, uh, Thirteen months rehabbing. My dad come back from work every day at lunchtime to check I was all right. Nursed me through it till I was. Well, I had to be ten and a half stone before I could go back to work. It took thirteen months. And what happened to you? What caused that? A glandular fever. Um, but I look back and it did two things for me. Um, it was the gateway for me to start refereeing because I couldn't play football. I was too small, too weak. And I think it made me a very, very good person because when you live on your own throughout the day for 13 months, you have a lot of time to reflect. And I reflected on what I'd done in my life and such like. And there really wasn't a lot there. I hadn't done much. And I just 
made this decision that I was going to be happy every day in my life, even to the extent that I realised there's an O in my name. And when I signed my name, I always put a smiley face in the O. And I've done that since I was 21. It's my way of saying to God, thank you for smiling on me and giving me a second chance. I swore that I would not waste time and I wouldn't badmouth people. And by and large, I think over the last 40 years, I've achieved most of what I've set out to do. You certainly have. Now, how did the the whistling or the refereeing come about? Who got you into that? Who suggested? Um, he's dead now, unfortunately. Um, I, I, was, I was an apprentice on the newspapers, and a guy called Dick Bartlett, um, he was just finished on the league line. He was linesman for six years. And he said, why don't you be a referee? He said, you're football mad, you know, you know all the game, whatever. And I went, no, no, I'm, I'm too small and it's not for me. And he said, well, just give it a go, he said, and build up strength. And I thought... You referee for a couple of years, then I'll get my strength back, I'll get my weight back, and in a couple of years I can go back and play football, and then you retire at 30 like players did, and go and watch. And he got me refereeing, and I got in. I went through very, very quickly. Um, in fact, to be fair, not being um, big-headed, I, I rocketed through, and within five years I was on the Football League line. Well, there was no way I was going to pack up then. You know, I was, I was 27 years old when I was on the Football League, which... The next youngest person, I think, was 42. So it was just it was my pathway. I want to say it. It was a meteoric rise for Dermot Gallagher. There's no two ways about this. Now, you run the line for a couple of years. Was it automatic you were always going to be a man in the middle? You know, you're a liner. Was it always your aim to get in there? And is that the way it works? Oh, definitely. I mean, now it's different. Uh, there's there's two roles. You can be a referee. Yeah. You can be a, an assistant referee, as they are now. But when I started, I was a referee and what happens each level I accelerated to you were a linesman first you run the line at that and then if if you continue doing well you you bent as a referee and my aim was always to be a referee I, I, I didn't see any purpose really for me being a linesman as it was then mm. and I wanted to be a referee and so the the few years I spent on the line were really educationary they weren't um they weren't for what I, my goal <laughs> stay with us on late lunch we're on Facebook live as well if you're with us on Facebook live we say hello to you today Dermot Gallagher is with me in the studio now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it with this man in a moment so if you want the stories if you want the lowdown on the players and the managers you better stay with us on late lunch because this is going to be good I promise you and if you want to ask him a question we have a man with us today. This is special. Top class referee in the world for years. Come on, let's have your questions. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Get them into us now and I'll put them to Dermot. I promise with you. Back after the break. Referee Dermot Gallagher is my special guest on Late Lunch this afternoon. Let's throw in the questions are coming into us. Keep them coming. I love them. 086-1800-658 to WhatsApp. It's free. Or by text to that number as well. Um... If you were in charge of a game, Dermot, a listener wants to know, and you awarded a penalty, and I was going to come to this anyway, and the new VAR overruled you, how would you feel about it? I'd feel great that I was refereeing the game, I'll tell you that to start with. <laughs> um, I thought that them days had passed. Um, no, um, under the criteria, it's got to be a clear and obvious error. I'd be very, very pleased that he'd got me out of jail, because I have to tell you, the worst thing in the world is making a key decision. I'm reading in the newspapers or seeing it on TV later that night that you've got it wrong. And and that obviously happened to you in your time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and you caught up about it? Oh, it, there was two things happened. Is that I beat myself up unmercifully when I started out. And I had to learn that you just have to park it and move on. And I know that sounds a bit disregarding it. But while you're beating yourself up about 
a decision, you're actually not concentrating on what you should be doing for the future because I learned very, very quickly that there's three times in life. There's then, there's now, and there's the future. You can't go back to then. And that is a good philosophy to have, and obviously you needed it to ca- to carry you through. Um, another one for you, Dermot. Which ground did you fear most going to to referee? That comes in from Kevin McKeever in Carlingford today. Nice to hear from you, Kevin. I didn't because um, it was just so exciting. Uh, just to get a game was exciting, but I do know that lots and lots of the referees didn't like going to Leeds when in the Premier League because they found it so intimidating. And it was quite ironic on a um, St. Patrick's Day a few years ago, my best friend Alan Wiley was refereeing, I was fourth official. And he said to me, I, I find this the most difficult ground to referee. I said, why? And he said, it's just so intimidating. He said, and I can't seem to get the players on my side. I said, leave it with me. And I went out into the tunnel and I spoke to Gary Kelly, went and kissed me on the cheeks, spoke to Ian Hart, spoke to Steve McPhail. and just said, this is my best friend, you know. And they're all like, oh, great, great. And he looked after him at the end of the game. He said to me, he said, that's the best day I've ever had at Leeds United. <laughs> Just to show you the little word from the master, the difference it made. Here's another interesting one uh, for you on Twitter from David this afternoon. Should referees be promoted as personalities, uh, a.k.a. Kalina Clattenberg? And Dean, I was going to ask him about Mike Dean. <laughs> David, I can tell you for sure. Or should they avoid the limelight? Great question. It's impossible for them now, isn't it? You know, that uh, the game's so high profile, there's so much media space for football that it's inevitable that the referee's going to be forensically diagnosed now. And the more they are, the more people want parts of them. And I think the three referees you named, in my view, are three of the best referees I've ever seen, without doubt. I mean, Kalina was just unbelievable. He took my place in... Uh, in Europe really because when I got injured in 96 and he came on nobody had heard of him and look at the career he had it was unbelievable um, Mark Clattenburg for me was one of the greatest referees the Premier League ever saw he was just unbelievable referee that what his man management skills and whatever and Mike Dean you know people go on about Mike Dean about us as, as Johnics call it what you like but I tell you something you don't referee 430 games in the Premier League if you're not any good you know, you don't get picked out of a lucky bag. Dermot, I'm an Arsenal fan, and <laughs> I saw him in Old Trafford, and before the game, I saw him giving Fergie a hug, and I thought, what chance have the Gunners got here today? And Dermot, I was bloody well right. <laughs> Mike Dean was my fourth official years ago when I refereed Man United and Arsenal, and he, he taught me one of the most interesting things that I hadn't realised, that with about five minutes to half time, I was in the penalty area at the Stretford end and I turned. As I turned out, I felt my right groin just ping. And he he was obviously watching me and he saw the look on my face and I went to take one step and I stopped. And then it went off and it was almost like the muscle unlocked and I carried on. And it, it just must have been a, a, a muscle spasm. And I said to him at half-time, he said to me at half-time, God, blimey, he said, I thought you'd... He said, I see a turn, I see the pain on your face. He said, I thought, oh, blimey, I've got to get on. And I went, but that'd have been a great opportunity for you. And he went, no, it wouldn't. And I went, you've got a game at Old Trafford in front of 75,000 people. It's set up for you. Why would you not want to do it? And he went, tell me what chance I'd have had. He said, you've refereed that game for 40 minutes. You're up to speed. You've got all the players on your side. I've got to come on five minutes before half-time, cold. He said... I've got nowhere to go. 
And it, it just taught me that if a referee gets injured, that you have to say to the players, I'm really sorry, but I need five or ten minutes to get warmed up because this thing to rush on to referee yeah. the game doesn't work. It's not possible. It's interesting, isn't it? It happens from time to time. Who's the best of the current crop? Um, well, the two boys who are refereeing in Europe have done really well. I think Michael Oliver has really come through. He was always a good referee. He come through very, very quickly, very young. Um, had great grounding because his dad was on the football league, so he got good education. But he, in the last two years, he just seems to have moved on and on and on. And I think... He was given a game which people thought was a dead rubber, the big semi-final in the uh, Champions League, uh, the, the group game, semi, uh, the semi-final of the Champions League, the second leg, because they all thought it was over. As it was, it couldn't have been anything. Yeah. But, and he ends up sending Buffon off. Which it's an unbelievable it moment, was, wasn't it? And, you know, he was right. It was a penalty. It was definitely a red card. And I think that, um, with the feedback he got off of how good he was, how strong he was doing what he did has built him more and more confidence inside. And he's just brought that forward. I watched him in the Premier League this year. Anthony Taylor, very much the same. Really competent, consistent referee. And that's what people want. And the more, Jerry, you referee at the top games, the more consistent you've got to be. Because I'm not saying any game's more important than the others, but the higher you go, the stakes are higher. Every, t- every step you make forward, the stakes are much higher. But I also think Martin Atkinson, you know... He's in the toilet of his career. He's come off FIFA now. But his knowledge, he uses so, so well, you know. I'm laughing. You see me smiling as I get these messages here. Dermot, are you one of the few refs who gave a penalty against Man United at Old Trafford? Um, I refereed 51 times at Old Trafford. I never gave a penalty for <laughs> any of them. <laughs> I never gave a penalty home or away. But I did. I did. I did make a very, very brave decision at Leeds once on the only game played in the Premier League on uh, Christmas Eve. I gave a penalty to Leeds in the first minute against Manchester United, which wasn't very popular with a lot of people. (laughs) There you are. He didn't. He didn't give the penalty. Um, When you you think about you and and your style of refereeing, in a word, what would sum me up? What kind of a referee? You did a lot of talking to the players. Were you strict? Were you amenable? Did they know where they stood with you? What would sum me up in a couple of words, in your opinion? Peaceful. Peaceful. I I was what I am. I never went onto the football field to be an actor. I'm very calm, very um, non-confrontational. I don't do confrontation. My dad said I was like a river. He said you used to meander your way through life problem go around it and move on <laughs> and that's how I was I, I don't do confrontation at all in my life and I didn't get involved in conflict on the football field I knew how to deal with players um, and I knew how to I, I was very very lucky that I knew how to diffuse things very quickly and peacefully to leave people knowing that they'd done wrong but not feel as though somebody had wag the finger in the face. I think it's a brilliant trait to have. One of the most distinguished men in the middle ever is my special guest on Late Lunch today. The great Dermot Gallagher is here. I, look, I could have, should have put a bet in this actually. I suppose I'm not allowed to, but I should have. How many people have just come on to us and asked the same question? Dermot, what was it like to referee Mr. Roy Keane? I'm sure you're asked that so many times. It was uh, probably a little bit easier for me than most of the refs, I think, because he... You know, he he often says, you know, he, he's had his run in with refs, but 
think he always gave me a bit of a chance because I was an Irish boy, you know. And I always got on really well when I got on well with him off the pitch as well as on the pitch, and I never ever sent him off. Um, yellow carded him a few times, but as you know, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? When he played like he did, he he's always going to run that risk. Does it sour that relationship thing? You know, after a game, or you know, when you arrive to the stadium for a game, maybe a few weeks later, you're assigned again to to a team you refereed a month ago or whatever. Is it very hard to have? A normalised relationship, a friendship even with managers with certain players. I think the secret is, Jerry, that you you want to build bridges, you want to be seen as part of the day in so much as you've got a job to do and you want to do it to the best of your ability. But I think no matter how much you get on with a manager or a player, you've still got to have that little bit of um, distance of authority. A bit like bit like a guard in the street you can talk to a guard in the street and you get on really well with him but he's that guard still has to have that little distance of his of authority and i think it's exactly the same with a referee tell the story of vinnie jones <laughs> and that M- melee that famous melee what match was that uh he's refereeing uh um wimbledon and uh leicester and uh there was uh bit of a dust up in a corner a bit and, of a dust up yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody punched Vinny punched him in the head and it all kicked off and I remember it was like the Wild West they all piled in and I remember my dad saying to me you know don't don't get between them just stand back and watch and it will self-police itself and he was right it was 28 minutes later order was restored and, <laughs> and there was there was blood teeth hair on the pitch and I was like, so I sent off Steve Walsh and I looked at Vinny, I sent him off and I didn't think nothing of it. And then about 10 minutes later, I realised I'd sent him off and all he got was a good punch in the head. So I thought, oh, blow me. Um, and at the end of the game, I got showered and shaved and ready to go home, polished my head and opened the door and the door opposite opened. And when I say opposite, it was just across the corridor and Vinny Jones was stood there and I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> And I went, I was just coming to see him, and he said, what for? He said, about the red card. He said, what about it? I was a bit harsh, wasn't it? And he said, I shouldn't worry about it, damn it. He said, I battered him in the tunnel. (laughs) I felt a bit better then. (laughs) What What a great story that is. Back to your liner days. Tell them the one about Sunderland you were refereeing, was it? And you flagged for something. Tell me that one. That's a great no, one. No, no, no. Was it? Was it? No, no, come on. No, it was a Chesterfield. It was a Chesterfield. They play in Sunderland. Okay. And uh, it was packed. The ground was packed. And uh, it was about two minutes to go. And uh, somebody went, Psst! And looked around as a policeman there. <laughs> and I said, what do you want? He said, in two minutes' time, son, he said, run, run for your life. And I went, why? And he said, because there's 2,000 Sunderland fans out behind this wall. And he said, when that final whistle goes, he said, I've only got three coppers on duty. And he said, it's every man for himself. <laughs> and two minutes later, the referee whistled and whoosh, I was across the pitch and was stood next to the referee. He said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what are you doing? He said, I've only given a free kick. <laughs> I stood in the middle of the pitch <laughs> with 200 Sunderland fans chasing me. So you had to sheepishly make your way back well, to the line. Uh, I, I went to, but it was 200 Sunderland fans still running towards me, and I calculated the odds. One referee, 200 Sunderland fans, so I started running again. <laughs> they were hairy times, weren't they? Well, that, that's that's how it was then. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was all part of the fun, really, wasn't it? When you look back, you think... Well, 
what about managers? Like you mentioned, we talked about Gary Kelly, Roy Keane, Vinny there, all the, the well-known guys. What about managers? Ferguson, of course, had the reputation of the, you know, of being the man that you just didn't cross. And would he wait for you on the way off at Old Trafford? Would he wait at half time if there was anything up that he wasn't happy about? Um, I don't think he'd wait that long. I think <laughs> he might be on the touchline if he wasn't happy about something. But um, it's it's very difficult to actually pick out a specific manager not that I want to anyhow but managers and players are quite unique when people say to me who's the most difficult manager you've ever had to deal with well I can tell you Jerry it's every manager who's losing because that's the nature of the beast you know when they're winning they're happy if they're hanging on for a draw you know they might be happy they haven't lost but when they're losing nobody likes losing well I didn't like losing when I was a player so you know, they're going to be unhappy. You know, sometimes you get well beaten, accept it. But you get beat in a very close game and you feel a decision's gone against you. You're going to be unhappy. And sometimes I think it's the easiest thing to vent your spleen on the referee because the referee never comes out and does an interview afterwards and explains, you know, not that he wants to. So it's it's a easy target. But what I will say, the, the Premier League and the FA have been really, really good, I think, in the last few years and saying, look... If you're going to speak about a referee, let's speak about a decision he's made, not not speak about him, his credibility or whatever. And I think that's had a massive impact in so much as, you know, a manager can now say, I think Dermot got that wrong. It might be that the ball broke too quick for him and he couldn't see it. Rather than say, I think he's rubbish. You know, he shouldn't be refereeing at this level. You know, th- them days are gone and I think that's all to be applauded. When you're in the heat of battle and it's a tense game and you call a decision and maybe you get stick and you think maybe you reflect in your own mind afterwards, did I get that one right? Or maybe you know by half time if you talk to your colleagues, well, maybe that wasn't. Do you do that at half time? Do you, do you look at a first half or do you leave everything till the end of the game to analyse then? Do you talk at half time? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I cha- Sam Allardyce changed my whole opinion about refereeing because. Um, we have this notion. Everybody talks about the word consistency. Consistency is great if you're getting things right, but it's not good being consistent if you're getting things wrong. And I think the other thing is, when I first started refereeing, you'd go into a match with plan A, as I call it, and no referee that I am aware of had plan B. And by that, I mean, I was fourth official at Arsenal many years ago. They were playing Bolton. And 90 seconds into the game, Sam Allardyce, who was sat upstairs in the director's box, actually, excuse me, Dermot, kind of, and he's come down to the touchline and he's changed his formation. Because in that 90 seconds, he'd realised how he'd set his team up wasn't working. And he hadn't waited till half-time. He'd actually done that. And I talk to young referees now and I say, look, if this is your game plan, you go in, be aware that if that game suddenly goes a different way, you can't continue to go through that game the same. You've got to make alterations to your game because you can't referee at one level and the game be played at another and I think that's the amazing thing when you see a game now you'll see something happen and the comment will be yeah but the referee didn't do that in the first half well the reason for that many times Jerry is that the game was different in the first half and the referees realised that and I think you should give the referee credit for taking the initiative and, and altering and an example of that because I don't like talking about other referees, because, you know, I refereed a game at Newcastle in the FA Cup in 1994. I'd just got into FIFA. 
and Graham Lasalle was playing for Blackburn Rovers and he flew into a tackle after about three or four minutes. And I didn't really want a yellow card a player in them days after three or four minutes because I thought, this is going to be a tough FA Cup toy. And I don't want to end up with, say, ten yellow cards and possibly two or three red cards. So I walked across and spoke to him. Five minutes later, a Newcastle player did the same tackle. And I'm thinking, ah, I can't yell a card him because I didn't yell a card Graham Lasalle. So I go and speak to him. And the players realised this. The players sussed out, he's a talker and not a doer. So they took advantage of me. And they took advantage of my mentality of plan A, no plan B. And I got home and David Ellery rung me up, who, massive, massive respect for David Ellery. You know, refereed at the top level. Very, very great guy wanting people to do well. And he said to me about this, and I explained I want to be consistent. And that's what he said to me. Don't be consistently wrong, damn it. He said, when you didn't do Graham Lasalle, the next tackle goes in, they'd have more respect for you if you suddenly went, I'm really sorry, I got that one wrong, but I'm going to get this one right, and I'm going to change my tactics. And I just thought that was a massive, massive learning point. It's very interesting what you say. I'm hanging on every word there because it's something I'm considering and I never considered before. But it just brings the extension of that question is this. If you get something wrong for one side, do referees even things up? That's the worst mistake you can make. Because um, I I say I don't like talking about other referees because um, whatever. But I will talk about another referee because I think the two best referees I ever knew for having this facility for parking something and moving on was myself and Graham Pohl. And Graham Pohl, if he made a mistake and the game was going on and you turned and went, Graham, you got that wrong. He would turn to you, Jerry, say, if I got it wrong, I'm sorry, but it's the next decision I'm bothered about, not the last one. And th- that's what Graham had, this remarkable facility park it and move on irrespective mm. of what happened it was always the next decision he was bothered about the last one he can't make again did anyone ever try to bribe you <laughs> what is the fascination about referees and bribes uh, no they didn't no uh, uh, if if they did I, I wouldn't be living in a three bedroom semi detached in Bodica would I I'd be living in a big mansion <laughs> but referees, it has been tried. And uh, not in England. No. Not in England. There's, there's few cases yeah. uh, abroad we've seen. And uh, I mean, it was, I can't think where it was. There was one in Europe recently, wasn't there? Somebody uh, got done. But mm. the, it's few and far between, thankfully. Yeah. Okay, good. The listener wants to know what is the best team or which is the best team you ever refereed? That's a good question. Because do you take cognizance of that when you're in, in the role you're in or? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, probably the Juventus team of nineteen ninety six, when I mean they were just outstanding. They had uh, Del Piero, Zinedine Zidane, Conte was the winger. I, I remember somebody said to me, "Who was the best player ever refereed?" And without doubt, Zinedine Zidane. I, I refereed the semi final of the Champions League in nineteen ninety six, and Del Piero got the ball and he smashed it across the field. It went past my nose. And Zinedine Zidane was ball was heading towards him. I thought, good luck with that. And he just put his foot up and cushioned the ball 
brought it down and laid it off to Antonio Conte. I've just gone, wow. <laughs> so they were the greatest in your book. Oh, they, they were just they were just such an efficient team. Mm. They were and class. I mean, Viali was centre forward. Viali and Ravanelli. I mean, what a team. Was Buffon in goal for them back then? He's been in goal forever. He might have been before his time just then, before he came in. I can't either. Here's another one from Noel Rooney. Great uh, fan of sport and listener to LMFM as well. Nice to hear from you, Noel, in RD this afternoon. He wants to know, Dermot, did you ever have the privilege of refereeing a team with Pat Jennings in goals? Because Jennings, Noel says, was one of my great heroes. I didn't because he was just before my time. He was just finished, was he? But I've met him. And you, yeah. he is the most perfect gentleman mm. you can ever meet. And he's still in first class condition. He was on telly last week, I looked on the hair. He looks fantastic. Hadn't he some pair of hands? But, uh, but I tell you what, more importantly, Jerry, he is such a lovely person. Mm. His boy was playing football in the, in the league, wasn't he? That's right. Uh, young Patrick. Yes. I think he played for... He played here in Ireland. He played Saint for Pats. He played St. Pat's. for St. Pat's, yeah. He played for St. Pat's. My wingman helped me there, so we did well done. But um, some other other things I wanted to ask you uh, about um, uh, during your career. Women officials are coming into the game at the highest level. There's a liner there. Uh, she's an assistant referee. She's absolutely Sean. brilliant. Yeah, what's her name? Sean Massey. Oh, my God. She's she's one of the best I've seen. Maybe I'm not just saying that, but she's she's got some w- decisions really, really right. Are we going to see women refereeing in Premier League games? Um, not sure. I mean, um, there's two two things now. They've got their own league. That's so, right. Yeah, so, the women's Premier League. Yeah, yeah, and they've done. But they've. I mean, people like Sean and that. They've been outstanding. Mm. Um, and there's other referees. Um, you know, there's no doubt they're good enough. I think one of the problems that I see is, is that they stop and have babies. I mean, Sean's had a baby. So she's continued, but sometimes that takes over your life, and they don't go back to it. Mm. So, so that's more difficult. But when you see these ladies refereeing are just outstanding they're brilliant but don't forget Jerry that the fastest growing sport in the world at the moment is ladies football mm, mm. And, and the referees are, women are going to be needed there to referee as well what do those two guys do behind the goals when there's seven officials or whatever will you just please tell me what's the point of them Dermot well I never had to operate with them no so, weren't you lucky so I'm not you the didn't best, need them not the best to what ask what do but, they do uh, um, I'm led one of the problems is I'm led to believe that they're in constant communication with the referee. The unfortunate thing is we don't have any tangible evidence of that Mm. because if they're speaking over a radio headset, they could be telling the referee all the time about decisions. Mm. But perception is reality. What we see is what we believe. So we don't see them do anything. So we think they don't do anything. When in actual fact, they may be the referee's, you know, saviour at times. I was going to ask you if you had any regrets, but more so on the financial front, because today, a Premier League referee, what's a referee a contract for a full-time Premier League referee? What's it worth? Probably half as much as, probably double what he gets. He only gets about half what he deserves, I think. But um, it was never about the money with me, honestly. It was all about the dream. And they paid 150000 yeah, yes. but good luck to them. You know, I, I didn't earn anything like that. You know, I hope your listeners don't think I, I earned that money. <laughs> you know, I gave up my job in 1990 to, to be a referee. Uh, I dropped my money 90% overnight. But it was the dream. That's what I wanted to do. I, I told you a story last night. It was gospel true. I, in the summer, I went to France for two weeks each year. And I got £15 a day. But I used it as a 12-day holiday referee for football matches. And, 
you know, that's what I did because I couldn't afford to pay for holidays, so I went over there just because I wanted a referee football matches. And was, if it was about the money, Jerry, I wouldn't be sat here now. I'd, I'd have carried on being a newspaper printer. <laughs> yeah. Tell me this. Um, when it came to the end of your career, now they go on now because they are contracted mm. on money and they are full-time. Sure, some of them are pushing 50 now. Mm. You had to retire at what age? Whenever I wanted, really, because it was 48 was the, the age... Keith Hackett said to me, um, I went to 49 and Keith Hackett said to me, look, the players like you, the clubs like you, we like you, you're doing, your fitness is outstanding, your referees up there, so do you want another year? So I, I carried on and uh, what happened is my birthday is May 20 and on May 13 was the last day of the season, uh, 2007 and I'd have been 50 the following week and I just thought it was the perfect time to get out. Um, and one of the reasons, believe it or not, was I hadn't fallen out of love with refereeing. I hadn't uh, dropped my fitness levels or anything. But I was starting to get a bit cheesed off with the travelling. And you could send me to, you know, the back of beyond. Going to the match was brilliant. I was so excited. I was up for it. And I just wanted to get there and referee the football match. But when I'd finished, I got to the stage where I just wanted to be in Doctor Who's TARDIS and transported back to my house. I didn't want a three, four-hour drive home. And I remember coming out of Burnley one time, one night, and uh, I got up onto the motorway. It was about 11 o'clock at night, <coughs> excuse me, and I saw a sign and it said Birmingham 104. And I remember I thinking, I've got an hour's drive after that. And that was my tipping point. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the time, and you knew. I'll tell you, he's a fit boy. You want to see him. He really is a fit man. He could just go out today and you'd see him, and it's the same Dermot Gallagher that we watched all those years. And I think that's a great tribute to you because you keep yourself in great shape. And he's still refereeing. We've a couple of minutes left. I better get to these. Joe Murphy's been on by on Facebook to say, what a wonderful interview. I could listen to Dermot Gallagher all day. Congratulations. Thank you for that, Joe. And Martin wants to know, when you look at the Respect Rugby referees get from their players rather than soccer players uh, what's Dermot's view on that why do they get more respect than the soccer referee uh, I don't compare apples with apples um, uh, apples with oranges um, in so much as we don't have players cited for gouging and dragging boots down people's faces on a Monday morning like doing rugby that's that's how they play their game football soccer is mm. played a different way so mm. It's how it is. You just have no real opinion on that, as no. such you're saying to me. Okay, interesting, you haven't. Um, and we do say rugby is a great game and they have the rules and that respect is there for certain, Martin. The other thing is, are players canats? Are they, you know what I mean by a canat? Uh, are they actors? Are they, are they set out to fool, you know, you and... Um, I'm not sure about that. I think most people go into football because they absolutely love playing the game mm. and... I just, when I was a boy growing up, there was only one sub. And when I played football, when the manager or the coach come out and he wanted to make a substitution, I used to think, I hope that's not the number 11 going up. And when it wasn't, I knew I was there for the duration because nobody else was going to get on. So that's how I was. And I'd like to think all players are like yeah, that. Yeah. They want to play. Yeah, of course. And yeah, look at everyone tries to get an advantage. I think in a lot of sports, golf is the same, even though they say they're gentlemen and rules. But, you know, from time to time, they do uh, push them to the limit as well. Um, what was I to ask you? Cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, oh yeah, this is interesting. You, you, he's an involvement, you know, in this whole Brexit thing. I didn't want to bring it up when he was here. But you are refereeing MP games, Member of <laughs> Parliament matches, aren't you? I am, yeah, once a month. Once a month, And yeah. does Brexit play uh, the Remainers? They, yeah, they, have... they Brexit played them last week. And Did they? Really? Oh, damn it, you're joking me. It was quite touchy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of love lost between them, I can tell you that. I, I, I certainly had to work hard in that 90 minutes. Yeah. Another question related to one a moment ago. How did you deal with a player who knowingly dived? You know, those and, and players build up reputations. We know this for this, that they'll try and eke a penalty out or a free. How did Dermot Gallagher deal with that? A listener wants to know. Uh, if I was convinced he dived, and I have to use that word convinced, um, I would always yell a card because I, I just don't like it at all. I really don't. But what I would say is I do have to be convinced because the reason I say that if you call me a cheat, for me, that's the worst thing you can call me as a referee. And I will always send you off. If I yellow card somebody for diving, I'm calling them a cheat. So I need to be absolutely sure. Where has that hour gone? <laughs> but it has gone by. Tempest fugit when you're enjoying yourself. You know something? I really have enjoyed Thank our you. conversation, Dermot. And you are one of the greatest ever, let me say, Thank to referee at the highest level in the world. And you're one of us, which is fantastic. And he's maintained his accent all <laughs> these years in the UK, as you heard as well. And, of course, I'll remind you, he's on Sky Sports every Monday, analysing the weekend and what happens as well. You can catch him there. But you know what? It's been my absolutely absolute pleasure to be with you last night at the launch of the Drogheda 100 and to have you here with me on Lake Launch this afternoon. Good health, happiness and continued great whistling to you, Dermot, Thank at you whatever level that may be. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk, beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Lose weight and feel great. The end of week number five. Just a week to go, and we're back with the guys. Not an integral this evening, but we're in... 
Carlingford Adventure, this beautiful place this afternoon, and we've decided for a change to do the way in here. So first up, this time round, on the scales, is Siobhan O'Neill-White, and she's here with our trainer, Fran Manish. Let me remind you about Siobhan so far. Four down after a week, three and a half, a half and one. Total weight loss of nine pounds so far after four weeks. She set herself a target of a stone. Are you confident that you are going to be down this week? Uh, yeah, why did I set that target? What was I thinking back then? Uh, look, myself and Fran, we've worked really hard this week and I hurt my back and I, Fran gave me some different exercises to do and I was in the gym Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday doing those exercises and hopefully it's all paid off. What about your eating? Have you been good on the food side? So good. Dave made steak brunets last night with like potatoes that he sautéed in butter, shallots, chestnut mushrooms and he made a sauce and I had my steak with broccoli and green beans and sugar snap peas and a half carrot I'm actually salivating here can Dave come to my house and rustle that up for us is he a gourmet chef have you you known this well you know the food gets tastier when you're only eating chicken fish (laughs) veg or a bit of steak and green vegetables every day of the week Fran Manish you have been really tight on with the food this week haven't you absolutely I I didn't realise you had a carrot Siobhan I'm joking no No, we, we did really tighten it up you know we're working together as a team here and we, we do want Siobhan to get her goal, and she will get her goal. I, I mean, if I have to put her on every machine for three or four hours every day, I will. I will, Jerry. For the final week. For the final week, absolutely. But she won't need to, because I know, I know this week, I, I f- I'm feeling good about what she's done. And we've sent, again, loads of text messages, loads of photographs, and we, we are working well together. And, and unfortunately, she did hurt her back, but there's ways around everything. And that, that's a message I'd like to get across to people. You know, if they have injuries... There is a way around everything, and uh, us as instructors here in Integral, we, we can help people, and, we, and, and we, we will, and we do, and without putting them through any um, you know, uh, fear factors and stuff like that, we, you know, there are plenty of machines, there's plenty of things you can do without hurting their ailments that they might have. I think that's yeah. a very important message to yeah. get across, yeah, because people feel they have to lay up and do nothing, and uh, I'm sure these scales are going to reflect that now in a moment. Absolutely. And uh, another thing as well, we, we do listen to our clients. We do mm. listen to, uh, for, as, for instance, this week with Siobhan and her back, uh, we're not going to put them on doing burpees when they have a, a back problem. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so very confident with Siobhan this week. And I, I'm delighted and I'm, I'm very proud of her. Okay, yeah. very pleased Fran Manish is. I have to just back, I have to say, because I did have a really sore back and Fran found the exercises that didn't hurt me in any way. There's a seat bike in the gym. You sit on it like a go-kart and I push my back into it and I have sweated myself silly on that machine every single morning for the last six mornings. So After four weeks, she was down nine pounds in total. This is the end of week five with a week to go on the scale, say, for Siobhan O'Neill White. Oh, I'm very happy for Siobhan. I really am. Siobhan is uh, now weighing in at 12 stone, two pounds. So she's lost. She's lost three and a half pounds. Three and a half pound down, folks. Well, well, well. <laughs> breathe there. You know, you're out. Someone told Alan told me to exhale on the scales. I hold my breath in on that thing every week. So, pound and a half to go to get my target. So, me and that seat bike have a date tomorrow morning. Breathe She's going to do it, Fran. Absolutely.
No yeah. doubt. Yeah, a pound and a half of the week ahead. Yeah, it's yeah. well possible. Yeah. And, you know, this week is a great return. A great return. Now, we, we haven't been weighing ourselves during the week, as in, like, we were doing it on, on air all the time. Uh, this week, I am going to weigh her halfway through, and then we'll take it from there. But, no, Siobhan's going to do it. And, I, you know, she might even lose a bit more than Stone. And you know what is really important as well? I felt really disheartened last week because I put in two mammoth weeks. I really felt I had worked so, 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 so hard. And Fran and Guy as well. I have to give a shout-out to Guy. Yeah. Guy is just giving me hugs every time I go into Betty's Town. He's just <laughs> adorable. There's loads of support, and I felt I feel like the injury hasn't held me back. But also, if you do have a bad week, and I did feel like I had a bad week, and I did feel disheartened, the best thing to do is to not give up and not quit. And I met Fran at 7 o'clock the next morning and we worked out what we were going to do to deal with that. Yeah. And we've dealt with it and they're yeah. three and a half pounds yeah. down. I'm delighted. Yeah. Target for the final week? Uh, I'm going to stick with Siobhan on this yeah. one. I, I won't be the bossy boots yeah. then this time. I'll try for two. But we'll say I'd say two. But listen, if yeah. we get the stone... We'd be happy. Yeah, two pounds. I'm saying as well. Go for it, young one. Get over that stone. I mean, well done to both of you. He's going in the swamp in Sky Park (laughs) later on. That's what's going to happen to Jerry Kelly. Have to push this woman. There's no other way to do it. Anyway, have to push Jerry Kelly. (laughs) Well done to you. Congratulations. Great weight loss. Okay, next up to weigh in today is Donald Waters, and I can tell you that this man has been going great guns. He's lost 22 and a quarter pounds. I don't know where those quarter pounds came from, Lorraine, but I think we're going to eliminate them. 22 and a quarter after four weeks, weighing in last week at 14 stone seven. Getting tighter each week? It certainly is. It is, yeah. It is uh, getting into clothes I never wore before, but it is getting difficult every single uh, week. Uh, The first week was nine, five, three. Mm. So I'll be lucky to have anything off me now this week, to be honest with you. I'm hoping for a pound or two, but we'll see what happens. It's just that uh, you just need to, I don't know, up your game, up your intensity, do what you're doing. Your body gets probably used to doing different exercises. You probably need a body shock. You need to just push yourself that little more to actually uh, get more weight off you, I believe, you know? Mm. But you've had a good week again. You've put in the work. The food is flying. I know your wife is looking after the food end of things. It's home from home going into Integral, to be honest with you. Every morning going in there, seeing the guys and stuff like that, we probably have... uh, a little bit of an advantage uh, that the three of us are sticking together where we're sharing experiences with uh, the instructors uh, uh, learning different hits I think it is hits uh, sorry I, I still don't I still don't know the different terminology and we'll ask Anne-Marie yeah, in a moment of, of exactly and there's uh, circuits and stuff like that as well spinning I love the, the, the spinning each class is brilliant with uh, magic ammo Nate and stuff like that and Fran you know it, it, re- it is really really great spinners me first joy I know I have muscles like I, I was looking at me muscles there my legs and the tone I tell you I have great legs now from it you know <laughs> I've muscles where I never had muscles before, you know, so it's really great now, in all fairness, you know. I don't think I ever heard a man in my life saying I have great legs. I do, yeah, yeah. And even my wife was saying, can't you have great legs there, you know? Is it real? Listen, you know? We'll have to get them into a mini skirt for the no, final, no, no. For well, the you final show. Well, you never know, you <laughs> Oh, hasn't this fella been just great you know? fun yeah. for yeah. the duration of the programme? Yeah. Anne-Marie, what's a hit? High intensity interval training. It's like you go 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or else you can go minute on, minute off. It all depends on what the instructor wants wants to put you through, you know, so that's what it is. He thinks it's, Donald thinks it's going to be tough this week to show anything down on the scales. It'll be tough this week, yeah. If I haven't been with him all week because I'm out suffering with the flu or whatever, so Fran, fair play, and Nathan has been taking him over, and, and Connor. 
they have been pushing him through his paces, and I'm happy with his progress because he's he hasn't slowed down a bit. So Not one bit, this no. man. He's never laid off from from the word go. The only thing I didn't hear you mention there, all the things you've done, the activities. What about Zumba? Zumba, uh, I ha- did we do Zumba? No, we didn't do Zumba. No, I d- no. Sorry, we did everything but Zumba. I think next week... Uh, You're going to get it in for the last Fran, week, are you? I heard it's just like disco dancing, but more intensity or so like that. And Fran is looking at me there, giving me the eyes there. So I, I, I don't know. I, do you know I, why I'm thinking about why? Zumba? I think your legs would go well with that. Oh, I tell you. And get castanets and castanets <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Donald, come on. Let's hop on the scales. Lorraine, let's see what they say for Donald this week. Last week, after four weeks, 14 stone seven he weighed in at, okay. lost 22 and a quarter. He's a little bit iffy this week. Is he down? Lorraine looks at the scales. What do they say? Is he down? Is he down? Oh, he's down. Oh, yes. How much? Donal is weighing in at 14 stone and four pounds. Down three. Come on. Down three. Congratulations. Shake that woman's hand there. And well done to everybody. That brings you to a total now of 20, just over 25 pounds, right? 25 and a quarter. Two and three quarters in the final week would give you two stone, but it's a big ask, isn't it? But if you do this week again, you'll do it. I think it's just time to turn up the intensity a little bit, maybe go twice twice a week, because, you know... And I'm, gonna, I, I'm actually going to say the thing here, and maybe I shouldn't do it. I'd like to see 13 of some description on the scales next week. That's, I think we have a few more days uh, normal. I think we have, in terms of a week, a week and a bit. Uh, so that's a target of four you're setting yourself yeah, now. Yeah, so I'm going to push myself to do four, yeah? Yep, he's well able for it. Yeah, and I'll be pushing him through this week. So I'll be Even in the sixth week, he can yeah. do that four? Yeah, he'll do it. So that's your aim. So if you have real goal to aim at, you want to see, see 13 on those scales. Some description of 13 on the scales. You know? Wouldn't that be marvellous? Yeah. Tell you, I don't see another lettuce or tomato now <laughs> for the next six weeks because that's all I'm eating. And I tell you, I can't wait to get, I don't know, no, my wife has been tremendous, I have to say that too, because she'll kill me. Uh, but yeah, thanks to my wife for all the, all the lovely things, but no more lettuce, please. You know? yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll leave you off with that one. Let's hear it for Donald. Come on, what a performance by this man. Down another three. He's absolutely brilliant. 25, over 25 pounds gone in five weeks. We're heading to a break on late lunch. Stay with us because we're in Carlingford at the Adventure Park and we still have to weigh in Anne Mead and Alan Fedigan in high anticipation to see what they've lost. Stay with us. Three minutes and we're back. Welcome back to Lose Weight and Feel Great. End of week five and next up to face the scales is Anne Mead. Let me remind you about Anne. So far in the programme, she's hit her stone. She's gone over the stone. 15 pounds gone in total, down to 15, one and a half. She started at 16, two and a half when we weighed in that very first night. But you're a little anxious. You, you are each week you come to the scales. I don't like getting weighed in public eye, I suppose, yeah, but I'm used to it now. Ah, indeed, you are used to it. <laughs> and you're blazing a trail. What have you to worry about? You're yeah. going to be down again? I hope so, yeah. We, I, I tried hard. We did everything I should have done. Training, eating, had a few family occasions, a wedding and a party and that, but got over them all right. No alcohol or anything. Great. You time. were out for Valentine's? Yes, we had a wedding on, a wedding on Valentine's Day, yeah. And you were good? I was, very good, yeah. Mm, no messing. You didn't, you didn't partake at all? You're off the drink for the duration of this? Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. It was actually a great day on, on Thursday. Alcohol really didn't affect me at all. Mm. The hardest thing was the dessert. Well, we got over that. <laughs> <laughs> well done to you. Is it getting easier or how are you feeling about it now at the end of week five? Just a week to go. 
Yeah, just a week to go. Um, I don't know if easier is the word. Probably more organised and probably more settled into the routine is probably a better way to put it. I don't think it'll ever get easier, but if it's getting easier, you're probably not putting it in, so there's no point in it being easier. <laughs> you're getting plenty of reaction, I see that. What about our work and friends? And Yeah, work is great. Um, with, with ACAR and Life, we only we have a team meeting there every second week, I meet colleagues, so I walked in last week in a suit and we were like, what? Hell's going on here. Right. So they could really see it. I was yeah. delighted with that. Yeah. Well, that's a great lift, isn't yeah. it, when you hear something like that? Well, Connor Tully, you have a very good subject this year, haven't you, for the uh, yeah. programme? Yeah, since day one, she's been pushing it. So it hasn't stopped every week. She's been pushing it. And as it is, I was away this week, away for Valentine's Day, but hold my hands up. I had to bring your girlfriend away. So, look, I'm like to say thanks to Nathan and Fran for taking them as well and I'd like to say for the three others for pushing Anne along it's been a good week and she's really she sent me everything we've gone through even though I'm away or whatever so she's been really good Has it been a little more difficult maybe for her because she pushed through the stone loss barrier last weekend in a way yeah. that's a milestone you could say in your own mind mentally well look at I've done it I'm there Yeah well we're a pound off our target original target Yeah. so hopefully now we'll smash that out of the water but um, yeah hopefully now that we'll do a really good job and that the scales will tell us but as far as I've seen it the few days that I did before I went off she pushed it as hard as she can mm. and coming in them early mornings and coming in and not maybe not having enough to eat or whatever kind of lack of motivation but she hasn't she's been pushing it all she's the way she's kept so. it going what was your original target? 3 pen a week so 18 pounds. 18 pounds, yeah. I, I think you got mixed up, Jerry. Uh, no, ah, sure, I get mixed up. There's that many pounds and weights and people, yeah, and you might forgive me that. <laughs> yeah, I think we thought it was a stone, but no, I was yeah. adamant 18. it was three pounds a week. Yeah. So that's 18 pounds. So already you're 15 gone. Yeah. So, you know, you're three away from uh, attaining your target. Yeah. So let's, let's clarify that and put that on the record. I don't blame her for being particular about that. You'd say, what's a pound between friends? It's a bloody lot when you're on this programme. And me, steps on the scales, looking straight ahead as usual. Well, Lorraine taking the details last week she was at 15 one and a half she lost three and a half at the end of week four we're at the end of week five are you smiling Lorraine oh, Bath? Oh yes She's really Happy smiling days. What is she down? <laughs> well I'm seeing a 14 on the scales Whoa that's so, great And yeah Anne is coming in today at 14 stone 13 and a half pounds so down two Two pounds down yeah. well, Congratulations Brilliant yeah, Delighted with that Do you know why I'm delighted with it as well Connor Tully because she still has a pound to get mm-hmm. I got me facts right now haven't <laughs> I in the final week which leaves her with a target Yeah so yeah it leaves her with a, a good target to set and like hopefully now £3 is my target for her so going forward hopefully she will be able to reach it yeah. one away yeah we'll stick with the £3 but we'll get over, <laughs> get over the target yeah. so 17 you have gone now in 5 weeks well done to you yeah I'm delighted with that delighted. Yeah. Yeah. it is, great. It is yeah. great so big push now for the final 7 days to the live show in fact you have an extra day I think yeah yeah I'll drive hard this week yeah. just put it all in for the last week um up the gym, up the running, watch mm-hmm. the foods. All that. I'm dying to get measured as well because Fran measured me at the start. Yeah. Um, everyone is saying it to me. Even the dress I wore to the wedding was like, mm. God, the difference, you know. So I'm dying to get my measurements taken because I know I've lost inches as well as the skills. So. Shop till you drop when this is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's put really good. And hopefully, as she said, yeah, 
I can, looking at her now, she's a totally different person. She's changed. I think attitude has changed. I think, obviously, look has changed as well. And hopefully going forward, uh, she'll kind of build this into a habit and start coming back to the gym, hopefully signing up with us here in Integra because the classes that we have on, on show are really good as they all got a taste for them as well as that uh, atmosphere within the gym between work and, and the members themselves. It's like just a big home of fitness. That's all it is. So it's really good. There's a bonus for you after that little advertisement <laughs> yeah. from Brian. Are you listening, Brian? Anyway, well done to both of you. Connor Tully and Anne Mead. Anne Mead down two more pounds. <laughs> 70 and gone in total. Congratulations to you. Alan Fedigan is the final one to weigh at the end of week five, and he's accompanied by his trainer, Nathan McLaughlin. After five weeks, this man has lost... 31 and a half pounds, which is absolutely sensational. He began the programme at 2012 and a half, and he's down after four weeks to 18.9. It is a terrific return, and for you, you've never let up from day one on this. The last seven days, same again from you? Yeah, absolutely. Again, Nathan pushed it up another step this week, so it was good, and we got through it all. Never missed a day, so... I know somebody else has mentioned here before. What about, look at that shirt, I just see that shirt and you're alone. Clothes-wise, you, you must be struggling, are you, for stuff to fit you? Or had you stuff that you had before when you were a little bit lighter? Yeah, I have, yeah. I'm actually back into an XL now, very comfortable. And before this, I was struggling like an XL. What would you have been in? A double XL, easily. Like, and and it even it was tight at that. You That's know? a huge adjustment, isn't it, in body shape? Yeah, even the, the top of me at the minute it was the top of all the first night and it was so to me, so it was kind of... <laughs> I can just see that standing here, the, the physical difference in you. But how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Obviously, in weight, and you have to notice when it's gone off you. But mentally, physically, combined, everything. Excellent, perfect. Just feel great. Loads of energy. You know, walk's never an issue now. Up early, gym, walk all day. Brilliant. Is this something you can build into your life now? Now, look, we know this six weeks is intense. You have a personal trainer with you every day. You're really pushing yourself but will you incorporate this to a degree into your life now? Oh, it's in there and that's it. It's staying because I'm not going back to where I was. Definitely not going back that way. Isn't that terrific to hear? Terrific. Nathan, you're standing there smiling from ear to ear and I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm delighted, yeah. Brilliant to work, you know. He's, like I said, he's made me life really easy with this. Uh, he's given 110% every time. We stepped up the training this week, but he gave it everything he, he had in him as well. Uh, it's all down to him, really. He's made my life easy. He has the chef at home as well, so I said at the start, he has no excuse and he's made no excuses, so he's done great. But week by week as he goes by, to keep up the intensity, I look at the drop, 12 and a quarter in the first week, 8 and 3 quarters, 4 down, up again last week in terms of his weight loss, 6 and a half down. It's a hell of an average, isn't it? It is. It's an awful lot, you know. But he doesn't want to stop. And I'm not going to stop him if he doesn't want to. You know, he's not hungry. He's not fatigued in any ways that we need to. Normally, if he gets to the stage where he's starting to fatigue or he's starting to really struggle with eating, we'd slow it down. But he's not. He's finding it easy. He's maintaining it. Like I always say, he's not starving himself in any way at all. If he was, we'd take it back a bit. So why stop? Just keep pushing on. Okay, so Alan Fedigan is about to step on the scales. He weighed in the first week at 2012.5, last week 18.9, £31.5 down in total. Will he do it again? Will he be down in terms of his weight loss this week? He's been Mr. Consistent every week. Lorraine Balfe looks closely at the scales, as I do as well. And I can tell you, I'm smiling when I see that number. Will you confirm what it says, Lorraine? Absolutely, my pleasure. 18 stone, three and a half pounds. It's five and a half pounds down this week. Five and a half pounds down again. Isn't this man incredible? So I'm looking at my calculations at 36, 37 pounds gone now in total. 
brilliant yet today. It. <laughs> it's an incredible haul of pounds. If we lined them up there on that table, it'd be something else. My God Almighty, we've a week to go. Can you can you do it again for us next week? Can you can you get a few pounds down? Do you believe? Oh, well, we have to. This man here he wants to beat the record at thirty-eight. So we've one, two more to get, and we'll go from there. So yes, thirty-eight is the record on lose weight and feel great in association with Integral Fitness and Leisure. He's going to get that pound, isn't he? Oh, he definitely is. Yeah, I don't want the record anymore. I want three stone. 42 pounds, and let's go for the three. Why not? We're nearly there. We already have the record in my eyes, so yeah, let's push for the 42. I'd love to get another five pounds off. I think we can. We have a little bit extra time next week, and we're going to push really hard. We're going to do a lot of one-on-one and really focus on it, but uh, 42, why not go for it, you know? That's five pounds. Nathan wants to go for next week. I'd be now, happy with it. He'd be very happy with it. Now, looking at all your weeks, only one week did you drop under the five. It was a four-pound loss that week. Do you think you could make the three stone? Let's get two and beat the record, and we'll go yeah, for okay. everything else a bonus. Ah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yes, absolutely. I think if you get the two and beat that record, that will be sensational, and whatever comes after that is a bonus. But Nathan has that little wish. Uh, we'll push anyway. We'll push on. <laughs> I know you will, Pudge. Well, listen, best of luck to both of you in the week ahead. Let's hear it for Alan Fedigan, folks. Another five and a half down, which is £37. And just back to Lorraine for a minute. What have they lost this afternoon? Combined, they've lost £13.5 between so almost them. another stone. Almost a stone. And in total? Jerry, in total, we're at £92.5 over five weeks. Come on, let's hear it! £92.5, lose weight and feel great on late lunch with Integral Fitness and Leisure. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Looking forward to the live show. Looking forward to the live show. And remember, Jerry, today they weighed in a day early, so they didn't have their seven days, they only had six. So we're incredibly proud of what they put in to achieve that result today. So we're on the push now, the home run. We can see the finish line, and the last week is always so tough because mentally they know they're nearly there they know they have to give it everything and the nerves really do kick in as you know god bless them yeah Yeah. good luck to them anyway in the final week and again thanks to carlingford adventure center here in north loud where we've been this afternoon with the guys can't wait friday's update coming on late lunch don't forget that the friday update every week and then we have the live show from integral on Monday the 25th the entire show live with the guys the final weigh in and the final round up at that stage what can I say I am speechless to be honest with you they've been that good they've been absolutely fantastic this year I'm just looking Louise six stone and eight pounds gone in five weeks can't even imagine what that looks like well, you know, we're going to see what it looks like at the live show next Monday because we're going to put the equivalent up in liquid. Well, you understand the equivalent mm. volume there in liquid of six. Well, whatever it ends up at, it's going to end up at more than that. Will they break Could you lift seven that? stone? Huh? Could you lift that? It'll be very, very hard to lift. They'll be beyond mm. seven, I'd say, uh, with, with the way they've gone. It'd be difficult. Imagine lifting a person. It's yeah. a person they've actually lost. It's an incredible achievement. What wonderful work by Integral Fitness and Leisure. The instructors there, yeah, Lorraine, amazing. all the crew. And they're a great team, the four of them. They gelled uh, so brilliantly. And I was with them in Carlingford. I'm going to hear more from Carlingford on the update on Friday here on Late Lunch. Friday afternoon after three as well. You can catch that to see how they got on there with all the various challenges. So just marking your card next Monday. Live from Integral Fitness and Leisure, Boyne Business Park, on the north side of Drogheda. If you'd like to join us for the live show down there, you're more than welcome. It's going to be a fantastic afternoon. News and sport on the way. And coming up after that, if you're having trouble 
with connectivity to the internet. If your Wi-Fi is useless, if you have no speed there, stay with us. We may have the solution. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk, beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Must I really remind you that the National Broadband Plan is in tatters. It was launched in 2012, seven years ago. And the plan to bring high-speed internet services to businesses and homes in Ireland is no closer. And there are lots of people out there with very slow download and upload speeds. Good news, we may have a speedy solution to your difficulties today and he's sitting right in front of me. It's Patrick Cotter. He was the founder of Fleet Connect Wi-Fi and he is the CEO of Rural Wi-Fi and he's with me on Late Lunch today. Patrick, good to see you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to have you with me because only last week in conversation I was talking to somebody who's in Mornington, which is not far from the biggest town in Ireland and she was telling me along their road there... They might as well have an ass and cart when it comes to speeds because it's that bad. Have you seen that in the towns? You're, you're living in Mead yourself. Is this something that's not unusual? No, it's it's very common. Um, like, in you know, in urban areas, uh, residential people still have the same problem and businesses. But, you know, for us, you know, for the broadband incentive scheme that was launched all them years ago, you know, they highlighted there was over 500,000 homes in rural Ireland that Ireland could knock a decent broadband. So, you know, how Rural Wi-Fi came out of a company called Fleet Connect and I was the guy who, was, who put Wi-Fi on buses and trains around the country. So from that, like I just live in Rateau there in County Mead and uh, I, I couldn't get, you know, I could get less than two megs. So I basically replicated the solution I designed for buses and I, 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 Rural Wi-Fi was born. So we are going about two years and uh, we're in our tourist year with about 3,000 customers and um, we're now sort of going county by county, pod by pod to maximise. So we're sort of going in like, not, not like a horse and cart, we're trying to go in a little bit faster. We give a month or two to, to a county, install as much as we can and move to the next county and then we do a sweep up afterwards. Have you unbelievably brought broadband or rural Wi-Fi to the Aran Islands, yes? We have. Where do you, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever is on my bloody gravestone, at least I brought, I brought uh, Netflix and Fort, Fortnite to the Aran Islands. <laughs> It was funny, I was there last week and we installed for this man and um, he never could get any any speed or any connection. And he was married to a lady from Leeds, so she was living in the Ireland three years and she said she'd never moved back to Leeds. But she would have came from broadband and she had a problem ringing her mum every evening. She'd have to walk down the end of the garden and she'd probably be blown into the cliffs, you know, like we're right, right where our house was, we're right in the seafront. Beautiful place. So we got them up to 15 megabits per second from nothing. And... That doesn't sound a lot to people in urban areas because they could get, but like for 15 megabits, what can you do? And the difference between rural Wi-Fi and anybody else is that we have learned from our customers. And the key is like, we, we would encourage everybody to ring in, ring us, go on our website, and we'd ask the questions, how many kids do you have in the house? What's your expectations? How many TVs? And anyway, back to the Iron Island. So suddenly she was on WhatsApp ringing her mum and she was nearly hugging me around the kitchen, kitchen. you know it, it was quite profound and I only I only actually realised what the internet meant to people OK so you were able to provide a customised solution for yeah. that family and that's what you're saying you can do now here's the thing all the big companies have dropped out of this bidding process to provide it and we had a controversy in political yeah. terms last year and what they're saying is it'll cost 15,000 euro mm. 
for each installation to put the infrastructure yeah. in the ground or whatever and they're only getting back maybe about 50 euro a month so yeah. it's uneconomical unviable there's no absolute business case whatsoever okay for doing and that it's not their fault okay so know? how are you doing it well there's a thing called the last mile I'm uh, we're wireless I'm doing it to fibre in the sky if you want to call it I'm I'm doing it to our own spectrum network and the reason I can do that is I you know fleet connect back to the bus and trains my company there we use the most de- data in Ireland on buses and trains, more than the government. So we have our own spectrum network, so we pick up whatever the best, strongest signal is. We also ent- uh, develop an antenna. That, that, like, so, for example, we install every solution. For It doesn't matter who they are. If they're in the middle of the city centre, we still install. And we developed an antenna with a high DBI gain. In layman's terms, that is, is a really strong antenna. Okay. And we lock it into our own our own spectrum network. So if we can give you 15 meg, you're guaranteed 15 meg throughout the whole it doesn't drop and the reason being is like you know understanding speed and broadband there's two different things you know you you don't really need a lot of speed you need enough bandwidth to allow Netflix and Xbox and Mammy and the online shopping at the same time so we bespoke or configure our units or our routers to allow this depending on the family and I suppose to answer the question we we had a house in Mayo you know and and, um, then we got to put to 20 meg and then he built a big extension and put in his home similar. Then he ringing me, Wi-Fi isn't working anymore. <laughs> because he didn't understand what bandwidth it was about speed. So for yeah. us, like, you know, on the Aran Islands, did I really think we'd be getting up to 40 meg to, to download speeds? In my mad head, I believed he would and we did. But, uh, you know, if you have, you know, say an elderly couple and all the ones who are really Irish independent and send a few emails, two megabits is loads. So it isn't about speed, it's about what everybody's doing at the same time. So you are saying you will customise to the customer's requirements, and this is very important in your success as well. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the uh, fibre in the sky. Yeah. Have you two solutions? We have. We we have our own solution and we have a backup solution, which gives us 100% coverage in the country. Okay. Our backup solution is a satellite solution, which people have, which I was very wary of. And uh, but the one the, the satellite solution we're using now at the moment will guarantee a 50 megabits download for a 150 gig allowance. And when you go over 150 gig allowance, we tra- we throttle back to speed about 30 megabits. So it's still unlimited in a way, but we're we've we've trialed it in about 50 or 60 homes in different areas, and it's working really well. So our lads and our men in the van will go with two solutions. It's because like we do have scenarios with, with a rural Wi-Fi solution where. We offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. So after 30 days, if you're not happy with the solution, we give you a full money-back. We've always... No questions? No questions. We're the only company that does that. And, you know, does that diminish our brand? Uh, I thought it showed a bit of confidence in it, but if I look at it now, you know, we would have a 12% return rate spending areas. So, for example, we're we're coming into Mead now. We're putting up signs on the lampposts. We're doing ad campaigns with yourselves. Where you know Helen McEntee, the minister, has backed us. We, you know, and uh, the county council is work, working closely with the county council and the broadband officer there, and the, and the council around Mead to concentrate on the black spots. But we only want the customers who cannot get anything. We don't want anybody else. Like if you want, to, if you want, forty or listeners want to ring in who've never got broadband. I'll do a test with you, free of charge. And we can come back two weeks at a time and see what the results are. That's an offer. Four people listening today. In between me and Loud or everywhere who can't get, have never, can't get any decent speeds. And I, okay. want, I, I want these, I want families. I don't want just, yeah. to, you know. Okay, so you're talking about have they nothing or little or nothing? Little or nothing. Less than a megabit. Okay, if you haven't got broadband speed and you're listening louder than me today, get in touch with us now. You can call in 1850-715-958 and leave your name and number and with prepared, Breach there. Yeah, I'm prepared to come back on the radio in two weeks' time 
and we'll talk with these people. And okay. Let's talk about their experience. And you can get in touch with us now if you can, if you have the speed. <laughs> on 086- don't, ask, don't ask an email in. <laughs> you can text or WhatsApp. The WhatsApp is free. 086-1800-658. That's an offer for listeners today. Yeah. And this man, Patrick Cotter, will do this and come back to us and see how you get on. Here's a few other questions for you. You talk about the speeds and that. They, they vary. What's your best? We could get up to 80 megabits per second. Yeah, in some places. Terrific. But the key, yeah, but that's brilliant. But if I can, we say we're 10 times faster than what you can get. So if someone's on a meg, I'd say we can get you 10, 10 megs. So if someone's on 20 meg, you know, that's 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 our sort of marketing ploy. But I don't know what to go there. We don't know what we go there. Okay. But we do know what we're got walking into. So we know if they've got five kids. Like, I, I'll give you an example. Go onto our website and there's a testimony video. Guy What's your website? RuralWifi.ie. That's RuralWifi.ie. Okay. There's a testimony video by a man called Paul Bond in Monaghan. So we went to the Monaghan County, back in by the county council, who's the second worst county in Ireland for broadband. We did about 10 or 20 businesses and about 200 houses as a pilot. And these are people who like, have never got anything. And we, we pass the flying colours, yeah? Paul Baum is a counsellor. Three kids ran a business. Have a look at that testimony video. When I actually, and you can't make this up. I'm not that good. I'm not, you're right? <laughs> if you have a look at that testimony video, that tells you exactly what rural Wi-Fi does. And I will emphasise we're your only real option at the moment. Okay, reliability. If you give me, when you go out and do your test, you set up, it'll hold at that? You're, yeah. Yeah. Stand over that completely. Uh, do I need a landline? Do I need no. a fixed landline to do no. this? Not at all. All we do is put an antenna or a, 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 a little satellite dish up on your uh, up beside your skybox, for example, and we run the router into the house. Ha- installation can take up to an hour. You know. So it's not big. It's not uh, intrusive or anything. It can be done very quickly and fitted fast as well. Delivery times, what are you talking about? If somebody orders from you, how, how long will it take? Well, well, we, would, we, we can't do it in 24 hours, but we, you know, if we say you order today, we could have it out in a couple of days. Why we're doing a county by county is we're sweeping them with all our installers and sort of doing a county by county. So we're coming into Mead now. We're already in Leitrim. We're coming out of Monaghan. And, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, we're going to be in Mead, you know, and... I suppose Loud's going to come into that, but some stats on some stats on Mead. There's, there's a you know where, where I'm from. There's two hundred two hundred thousand people in Mead, eighty four thousand premises, twenty thousand people in Mead don't have broadband. So twenty four percent of the population in Mead don't have decent broadband. There has to be four people there. I'm sure there is. I'll mention the. Well, I hope there's a couple of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> no. There absolutely will, yeah. but there has to be four that's going to trial this with you. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight. If you want to offer yourself as a test case for Patrick Cotter and Rural Wi-Fi, that offer stands there today. Give us a shout, and we'll be back in touch with you. Um, what's the cost of this, and is there a rental element to it? There is. Like we, our baseline for unlimited data and our Mead offer, Mead and Loud offer, is about forty nine euros a month for unlimited data. Like, <laughs> to me, I'm not charging enough. Because you've got to remember, if I didn't have any broadband, I'd pay twice that. Mm. So we're trying to stay competitive with, with with other providers. We are, in a way, we have to understand, like, you know, we would look for some sort of installation fee, but we have we have great deals for coming into counties because we're looking at numbers now. So if we get, you know, if we come into Mead and we get we get a couple of thousand installs, we can, we can carry the cost of an install. So if you go onto our website or ring in and ask for our Mead offer, you'll see that's very, very, very competitive. But you don't have a standard installation charge, is that what you're saying? Uh, We're doing a deal at the moment. As far as I remember, and I should notice, our installation and our our high-gain antenna is €80. 
So we're really giving it... One soft cost. Yeah. And then we would look for, I think, a month up front, but then we're also given uh, cash back and we're also giving back hotel vouchers to okay. compensate them. Well, they're little add-ons as yeah. well. But the main yeah. thing is here that people uh, are connected. And, you know, when you when you think about this, it's been a long time in the making from an, a national level. 2012, as I said at the beginning there, yeah. this thing was launched and we're still not there. Do you think they took the wrong approach? Uh, I don't know, like... The way I look at it is, did I see a gap in the market? Absolutely. You know, what, what am I known as now? The wolf of Wi-Fi. Well, you know, if that causes me a gravestone as well, well, you know, my kids will love it. But the wolf of Wi-Fi, you know, to, I just had, the, can I say it, the balls to go for it and, and, and give it a go. And we developed, you know, the software, we developed the hardware, and we, we made it happen. And, you know, has it, like two or three years developing this, now we're ready to rock. And that's, you know, for me... I don't really care about what anybody else has done. We were look. We used to be called the interim solution, but now we're the real solution. And you know, I'm very proud of all our team and everybody involved in our Wi-Fi to actually be able to say that. And I'm telling you now, we will deliver. You will, you know, if you want your kids to stay in and play Xbox all day, you can blame me in a year's time. If you want to be able to play football, just don't ring me. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that? I think that's fair comment. I think you've been absolutely honest uh, uh, as well. It is, yeah. But, but but your background, you do have a substantial background in this because I know you began many moons ago when, do you remember hotels? Do you remember that yeah. day when you went into a hotel and there was nothing? You were a part of that whole thing of developing I Wi-Fi. I was the first guy to put uh, Wi-Fi in a hotel, in a hotel lobby. In Ireland, no, it was done before, but I'll say the world, but it was really Ireland. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, we put, you know, when first when wireless laptops came out, the Dell laptops you could connect, I, was, I, could connect, I got into the business that way. Mm. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of hotels, you know, like all different types of IT solutions for hotels and businesses. And so I was more mainly business to business. What prompted you to look at the whole train, bus, the mobile <laughs> area? Like, you well, know, people probably said to you, this can't be done or this is yeah. crazy well no they? well if people say that to me every day you know and um, you know madness is contagious I suppose but um, I was on a train to Cork and I had a new Dell laptop a beautiful new Dell laptop and I had a dongle in the side of it and luckily there was other people on the train they kept taking it in and out they could, it wouldn't work and I, I said I had enough experience when Jay's I'm in a big steel box here if I put an antenna on the roof of that train put a router here and that's how I got the idea and I went searching the world and I met a few partners and, and you know here I am 38 countries later you know after putting Wi-Fi you know it's not only Ireland yeah, really yeah and it's a great artist story like uh, you know it's a great artist story it's you know it came, uh, the idea came from you know a mad paddy you know and you know if you look all around the world like Amtrak trains to Greyhound buses to all the go ahead you know First group, all of the, you know, we, we've that's turf. you. That's me, yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. that terrific? It is a yeah. terrific Irish story. It yeah. really is. So you're on the march through the country, county by county, coming into me now. And as you say, Louth will be probably next uh, on your horizon uh, uh, as you move along. And you have, I, I saw that. I was looking up earlier on. People are really very happy with the solutions that yeah. you ha- have installed for them. So just remind our listeners again: your website is ruralwifi.ie. And there's a phone number is that they can call you on. Yeah, uh, uh, we have. A, we're, we're going to have a local number for Mead. Okay, but at the moment it's eight nine nine one zero seven zero. That's our uh, that's our Dublin number. Oh one. Yeah. Yeah. Or go onto the website, put in your area, and you'll get all the details. That's probably the, the sensible way to do mm. it. And this applies to both. Let me say residential and business. Well, just yeah. all everybody. Yeah, like like you know. Ultimately, residential uh, is what we're... But we're doing a lot of business. Like, you'd be so surprised in Monaghan, for example. 
the amount of businesses who had to go down to town and stand on their left foot and put, put an umbrella up just to send an email. Mm. So, we, yeah, we do business as well. Our background is business to business, really. So, But we're getting good at B2C now, so we're, we're enjoying right. it. I love the name. The Wolf of Wi-Fi, he described himself as. Yes, Patrick Cotter from Rural Wi-Fi. And again, we make that offer to you. If you're listening today and you're struggling with broadband, I mean, like, very low speeds or none at all, there's an offer there for four trial uh, destinations that Patrick will go in and work his magic. And we'll come back and look at it a few weeks down the road. 1850-715-958. Give Breach a call. Leave your number and details and we'll be back in touch with you. Wish you well with it. I'm sure people you've helped are over the moon about this. But for the moment, Patrick Cotter from Rural Wi-Fi. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a lot on late lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks very much for your company. Eddie's up next with The Drive and we'll be back with Midweek Late Lunch tomorrow from half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Now open in Dundalk beside the Dundalk Retail Park. The nearly new sale is now on at Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.